Father God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for this time of worship where we praise you for who you are and what you've done. Truly, the good news is that Jesus paid it all for all of our sins, that we may turn to him in faith and worship him with all of our lives. Lord, I pray that all that we say and do this morning as we study your word will bring glory and honor to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, as we continue in our study through the sermon, uh, through the the discourses, uh, we encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 as the, the children leave third grade and under are dismissed to go to their class. But we've been working through what we call the discourses in Matthew. And in in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, there's five discourses, which is just an extended speech or a sermon time or a teaching time. And it's where Jesus pulled his disciples aside and was teaching them all these different things about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we saw the first sermon, the first discourse was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus pulled them to the mountainside, sat down with them, and just was teaching them. And we saw his main uh, line of teaching there was what is exactly it means to, to be a disciple. And the key thing that he was getting across, he was reacting to the teaching of the religious uh, leaders at the time who were teaching that religious behavior, outward behavior, is what made them righteous. And Jesus said, no, 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 not at all. He said, your inward heart of righteousness, which is given to you as a gift from God by faith in Jesus, that you're declared righteous, you're given a new heart that, that changes you from the inside out. You're given a heart of Christ to, to love the things of God, to, to seek the things of God. And once you've been changed from the heart, then yes, the outward behavior happens, the religion, if you will, happens. And so his main thesis was your righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees or you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And so he was saying, he was challenging us, don't think of behavior modification. Think of a heart transformation by faith in Christ and then that will change your behavior and you will find it living more righteously. And then he says, now I want you all to know you have been sent if you've been saved. And that's what we've titled this series, Sent by the Son. That if you have been saved by faith in Jesus, then you have been sent by Jesus to be a disciple maker, to be a missionary. And I don't know about you, but that really challenges most of our way of thinking. That we tend to think that missionaries are those people who uproot their life, leave the states and go move to Africa or somewhere else to, uh, to start a new work in a new place. That certainly is one aspect of being a missionary, but what we are learning is Jesus is telling all his disciples, all of us, that if you have been saved by God, if you have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you are a missionary as well. He talked about it in terms of being salt and light. He said, listen, all of my disciples are to be the salt and light in this culture, wherever you live. He's a sprinkled you if you're a disciple. He has sprinkled you in your family. He has sprinkled you in your workplace. He has sprinkled you in your neighborhood. He has shined the light in the school that you attend. Everywhere you go, you are to be on mission as a disciple. You are to be an ambassador of Christ, and, and you are to represent him. Remember last week we saw that Paul said, It's as God is making his appeal through us. 
It's a tremendous privilege and, and a tremendous responsibility at the same time. And then last week in this second discourse that we're looking at, he said, now as you go, I don't want you to be caught off guard. Expect persecution. Expect that people are not going to like it. And then he says, but don't be surprised. They didn't like me. Why do you think they're going to like you? And so he says, expect persecution when you stand for Christ. And also expect help and expect to be faithful, expect endurance. And so we saw last week, he's preparing us to go out. Now, week in and week out, we come in here and we talk about being on mission. We talk about being disciples. But I want you to know, we don't want to just talk about it. We really want you to go because that's what God says. I want you to be on mission. So what we're doing in here is not just giving you information to fill your head with great knowledge so you can go home and, and talk about, hey, what a, what, a, what a great thing we learned today. But we want to equip you so when Jesus says, I want you to expect persecution, we're telling you that because we want you to expect persecution as you go out. And, and we want you to feel the pressure more and more each week as community groups, as members meet in community groups, we're putting the heat on the leaders to put the heat on you to do what God's telling us to do, which is share the gospel. So last week, our action step was talk about where, talk about who, talk about when, talk about pray together about it, ask each other to pray for one another. And you're going to see more and more, we're going to be saying, who did you talk to? Where did you go? How did it go? And week after week, if your answer is, uh, no one, I don't know, didn't happen, I hope that you feel the pressure because you have joined this church to say, spur me on to obey God. And that's what we're trying to do is to spur one another on to obey God. In this case, it means to share his love, to share life after death, to share that God is for us and saves us. And so it's a great message but why do we find it so hard to share this message? Why do we find it so hard to tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you and wants to give you victory over death. Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you. Why do we find that hard? What is the one main thing that present, prevents us from sharing that wonderful good news? Fear. Fear. You know... I think the thing that controls us most is those, that which we fear. That what we fear, who we fear, what we fear is what controls us the most. That fear has different elements, if you will. There's the fear of I'm, I'm afraid of something happening. I'm afraid I may lose something or I'm afraid something bad may happen. But there's also this concept of fear that is being captivated the Bible used it as the fear of God is the fear of the awe of God, the, the worship of God. It's akin to faith. That when I fear God, I have faith in God. He has captivated me. I am in awe of God. That which you fear will control you. When we're kids, the biblical term, the fear of man, the, 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 when we're kids, what do we call that fear of man? What's the term for that? Say it? Right. We call it peer pressure when we're kids, right? That if, as students, my main concern is I fear what others think of me, my main concern is that I'm going to not be accepted or not well thought of, or this friend who I am in awe of, I will lose, then that is 
going to cause me them to have more control over my behavior than my parents. That I'm more concerned about what they think, therefore I'm going to obey them instead of obeying my parents. And so they have a control over me because I fear them, or I fear them in the sense of I'm going to lose something or I'm in awe. Good thing that's just something the kids deal with, right? I mean, that's why we point at them and say, y'all are so wrong in that, because we can definitely relate. What are some ways that we are controlled by fear of man or fear of, when I say man, it's men, women, children, the things that they can say or do or take away. Think about in terms of overcommitment. Why do we get overcommitted? Anyone feel overcommitted? I mean, anytime someone asks, put it on the calendar, and we only know one word, okay. We only know yes. We don't seem to say no ever, right? Why is that? FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out, right? I mean, anytime, fear of missing out. Anytime somebody says something, one reason I'm going to make sure I'm there is I'm going to miss out. Isn't that right, Cam? That's right. I'm scared I'm going to miss out. Or I just don't want to disappoint someone. Oh, you've invited me to this. Oh, it's important to them. I guess it should be important to me. I don't want to disappoint them, so I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going to. Fear of man is why we're overcommitted. Self esteem. We've had a whole generation. My generation has been taught the major issue in life is your esteem. The reason you have problems is because someone, your parents, probably hurt your self esteem. In other words, you should be in absolute enslavement to others giving you esteem. They're teaching us the fear of man should dominate us, and it's wrong. You should not be driven by what others think and make you feel. Your spouse can absolutely control you, have an absolutely unhealthy relationship. God is gracious to give us spouses, but if we are dominated by the need to please them or the need to uh, have their approval or the fear of losing them, then they have unhealthy control over our lives. In business, if you are driven by the fear of failure or you're driven by the fact that you worship or you're in awe of of what others think of you and the, the esteem in the community and the status with others, or maybe you're fearful of retirement not being uh, sufficient, and so you are driven to overwork, overwork, put in too long hours, and that business has control over you. So the point is fear controls us. Either we're afraid of losing something or we're in awe of something, and it dominates our lives. Evangelism. Why do we find it hard to share the gospel? Because we're afraid of what someone will think about us. I mean, how many of us really face potential martyrdom? I mean, are we really afraid that that someone's going to kill us? The people he's writing to in the original sermon were. But we're not even struggling with that. And we don't want to share the gospel. Let's just be honest. We all know it. We're afraid of what people will think about us or that what they'll say about us. Or they might say we're radical or we're intolerant or we're a Jesus freak or we're, you know, they're one of those and, oh, they're, they're the killjoy or, or they're going to put us in some category that we don't want people to think about us. That's all it is. 
And Jesus is saying, let's talk about that. Jesus is very practical. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our lives. And he says now, he's made it very clear, you have been sent to get out there and talk about Jesus and share the love of Christ. And I know two things. Number one, you're going to be, expect, you're going to be persecuted, so expect it. And number two, I know you're afraid. So he's going to give us in this text today three reasons not to fear man. Again, when I say fear man, I mean fear people. We see this repeated three times. Do not fear. Look at verse 36. Have no fear. Look at verse 28. Do not fear. Look at verse 31. Fear not. So we're going to use these fear not statements as the outline for our text today. Three reasons that we should not fear man. Father, would you help us this morning? It's not going to be any, the words of any person that changes us, that encourages us. It's going to be the Spirit of God taking the word and the truths of your word, implanting them in our hearts, giving us faith, to trust you, to be in awe of you that emboldens us to share the gospel with others. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first point is uh, do not fear man, boldly proclaim the gospel. This is what he does in verse 26 and following. Look what he says in verse 26. So, have no fear of them. Notice he said last week, you're going out. Expect persecution. It's going to be bad. I'm sending you out like wolves among, I mean, sheep among wolves. Get ready. They're going to attack you. Verse 26, but have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear man, but boldly proclaim this gospel that I have revealed to you. In this passage, he's talking about some cryptic, he uses some cryptic language, the secrets, the things in dark that become revealed. What he is talking about is the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In the scriptures, he talks in parables at times. Jesus frustrates us at times. We're like, why do you speak in cryptic language? Why do you use parables? And it's because what Jesus is saying to us is the things of God are not determined by human intellect. They're only revealed by the Spirit of God. They are secrets that are revealed by God. It's by special revelation. That's why sometimes you can read the scriptures... Before you came to Christ, perhaps you remember this. You read scriptures, someone put a Bible in your hands, and you're just reading it. It just seemed pointless. It seemed dead. It just seemed ancient literature. It just seemed, what's the point? How does this have anything to do with my life? How is this old, dead book relevant to my life? And you come to Christ, and all of a sudden, you find this is a treasure trove. This is the living word of God, that the spirit of God is constantly taking this word and bringing new insights and exploding your mind and bringing your dead heart to life and bringing incredible new insights that you never understood before, that now it is so relevant. It is your love. It is your bread that you eat each day to have what you need. This book comes alive because the spirit of God is exploding your mind and heart with new insights. 
It brings everything into perspective, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I have whispered the secrets of the kingdom of God to you. I have entrusted them to you. You cannot let the silly fear of man keep you quiet. He's saying, everyone out there thinks that Either there is no God or that the way to God is just whatever works for you or that if it feels good and that all roads lead to the same destination, he says, it's not true. And I've revealed this to you. I've given you the secrets to eternal life. I've given you the hope of eternity. I've given you victory over death. I've given you the secrets to being healed eternally. I've given you all the secrets to the kingdom. Proclaim them boldly from the rooftops. Don't let the fear of man keep you silent. The secrets have been revealed to us. What are these secrets? R.T. France says, what is at stake here? It's not a single item. It's not this, I gave you the secret. It's not just a single item, he says, but the whole new world of realities which opens up once one enters the kingdom of heaven. Have you experienced that? Have you, upon knowing Christ and studying his word, have you seen there's a whole new world of realities? That everything is radically different than what the world says. The paradoxes of Christianity, that life is found in giving your life away. That he who is greatest is he who humbles himself. It's a whole different reality that Jesus has proclaimed to his disciples that is contrary to human intuition and intellect. And he says, I want to explode these in your mind. I want you to understand the new realities of the kingdom of God that are more real than maybe you have perceived before. And I want you to be entrusted with these realities and I want you to boldly proclaim them on the rooftops. Only when God opens up a mind and heart do these realities become available. But how does that happen? How has God chosen to explode hearts? Through you. As you open your mouth and teach them to your children, as you proclaim them to your coworkers, as you lovingly disciple them in the truth. But here's how it works. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and brings them to life in our hearts. The Spirit and the Word is the powerful combination that God gives us the Spirit and He gives us the words. As we proclaim the words of God, we don't stop there. We pray, Holy Spirit, take the words of God and bring life. It's two of our core values of a church. In Connection Group, we talk about this, that we are all about the Word of God as a church, but we are also about praying that the Spirit applies the Word of God in the hearts of man. No one can break the hardened heart but the Spirit of God. And He does it by taking the Word of God and cracking open the heart. And our role is to teach the word and pray, God, make it effective. 
And so that's what we do. We pray about the word of God changing lives. And those who have been blessed to come and and see their lives impacted have come to life instead of death. And we see it transform marriages. And we see it radically transform families. And we see those families change for generations. Because they've come to know and understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. And he's put the keys in your hand. Someone gives me, someone says, I got a really important key. You know what I say? Don't give it to me. Give it to Dana. Dana will know where it is. She'll put it on the right hook. She'll put it on the same hook every day. I put it in a new surprising spot every time I come home. I will lose it. I don't know where it is. I know that's where the hook's supposed to go. I know where it's supposed to go. Every day I come home and I don't know where I put it. Don't give me keys. And he's giving me the keys of the kingdom that unlock the secrets, that unlock the treasures of God. That's a responsibility. And that's a privilege. He's entrusted the kingdom's keys to us, and he says, proclaim it and pray that God will make it effective. Do not fear man. Boldly proclaim the gospel. Second, do not fear man. They are not your God. Do not fear man, do not fear people, they are not your God. Verse 28, and do not fear, that's the second fear statement, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Those are scary words. Notice what Jesus is doing He's revealing secrets of the kingdom. He's separating the body and the soul. Jesus makes the distinction between the body and the soul. The soul is that part of us that we truly are. The soul is that part of us that is born again, that comes to life upon the Spirit of God, bringing new life and faith in Christ. The soul is that part of us that lives on after this temporarily dwelling, this tent that Paul calls it, this frail, hurt, sick tent that finally perishes, the soul does not perish. The soul lives on. I remember many, many years ago as I studied the Baptist faith and message, Hobbes said, we are not bodies with a soul. We are a soul with bodies. That's kingdom understanding. That's radically different than what you thought before the scriptures told us that. We grow up thinking we are bodies, and that is all that this life is. This is the sum existence of our being. And the Bible tells us, no, you are a soul with a temporary shell called a body, and that shell will perish. 
But the soul will not end. For Jesus' disciples, after the body perishes, the soul continues to be with God in all his glory until he comes back to a new earth, a new heavens, and he says, then I will give you a new body. But the soul never ceases to exist for a second. That's why, as a pastor, when I walk into a scene not knowing what I'm going to see, but it's a funeral or it's a family after tragedy and there has been death, when I walk in and I open the doors, I can tell you in an instant whether they are in Christ or not. Both scenes, one without Christ, one with Christ, one who understands that the soul is eternal and the body is temporary and the other who thinks the body is everything. Both have tears. Both have grief. Both are hurting tremendously. But the one who has the secrets to the kingdom is grieving with great hope, great confidence, great understanding. Yes, I grieve, but this is not the end. So Jesus is revealing secrets of the kingdom, telling us that you are a soul with a body. And then he just basically gives them a worst case scenario to them. He says, expect persecution on this mission as sheep heading right into the mouths of hungry wolves. But don't be afraid of them. What's the worst they can do? Kill the body? So what? And you can just see him puffing it up. Yeah. Yeah. What is the worst they can do if they kill my body? Like Paul said, hey, to, if, if to live is Christ, then to die is more Christ. Bring it on. And then if they're like me, they leave the worship service and they're heading out with hand. Oh, wait a minute. It's going to hurt if they kill me. Right? But Jesus is saying to them, what's the worst they can do? They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. You should fear not man, but fear God. They're not your God. God is God. That's who should control your life. That's who should dominate your decisions. That's who should make you decide whether you're going to open your mouth and talk about your salvation or not. When he says fear God, it's the same thing. The idea is the same thing as faith, awe, worship. Fear God, re- revere God, worship God. It's this mixture, it's this perfect mixture of justice, which includes the, the fear of punishment, the fear of, of opposing the holy, righteous, just God. But at the same time, it's, it's a complete mixture of his love, his forgiveness, that he has captured you with awe and that he has completely forgiven you and covered you in the perfections of Christ. And so you are captivated by God. You are enslaved to him and his glory. You, you have voluntarily laid down your life to, to serve him and to honor him because you are absolutely head over heels in love in all of him. 
He says, let that control you, not this little fear of man who can't do anything to you that I don't allow. So he's saying, let faith in God drive your life. There are several beautiful verses I was reading this week in 1 Peter, and I think it's so helpful to to read in 1 Peter some teachings about the soul and how the soul relates to the current physical existence. And and what we see is in 1 Peter, the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your faith is salvation of your soul. Listen to these words, and I'm just praying that the Spirit of God will take these words and, and let them nestle into our heart and have the effect on us that, that God desires. 1 Peter 1.3, listen to Peter just worshiping and praising God and blessing God. It says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He gave our souls life to a living hope, a hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a hope that sees life, victory over death. And he he has caused us to be born again to an inheritance in verse 4, an inheritance that is ours in Christ, this inheritance that is imperishable. This is what we see awaiting us. This this is what's to be revealed. It's an inheritance. Inheritance that is imperishable. It's undivided, undefiled. It's unfading. It is kept in heaven for you in Christ. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You're being guarded by God through faith for that future day of salvation. That salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, that your soul will be saved in the future. And that's what brings you rejoicing today. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This future unveiling of soul salvation and inheritance is what brings joy. Though now, for a little while, you are being grieved by various trials so that you're grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, so that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That day that he comes and reveals your inheritance and reveals the salvation of your soul and these trials that have proved the genuineness of your faith, trial after trial on that day of salvation will reveal glory and glory and more glory. And it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. This is what Jesus is conveying. 
Why would you fear man? Why would you let the fear of man keep you from sharing these glories? Finally, in verse 29 and following, do not fear man, the Father is watching. Do not fear man, the Father is watching. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not fear man, for God is watching. There's two aspects of God's watching eyes in this text. The first is God is watching in the sense that he's watching over you. He's caring for you. The second is the sense of God is watching and we are accountable to his watching. First, let's look at this idea of God's watching over to care for us. He's talking about sparrows in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're, they're, they cost a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's notice and concern and care and permission and divine providence. It's not saying that he doesn't care about sparrows. He's saying... I care about sparrows, but how much more do I care for you who were made in my image who have a soul? If I care for every penny, that every sparrow that falls to the ground, don't you know I'm watching over you? Don't you know that whatever you're afraid of, I care about it? In fact, I am so involved in every little detail of your life I know the number of hairs on your head. And he says, it's getting easier for you, Tracy. (laughs) You can't count the number of hairs on a head. No human can. But God, with God, all things are possible. God knows everything about you. He knows every concern. He knows every fear. He knows everything that you are worried about. And he says, I'm watching over you. He brings up this idea again of a father. This is where he keeps going. Jesus keeps saying, God is your father. He's not a messed up father. He's the perfect father. He's he's the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving father. Just like any, imagine the perfect dad, a human dad, telling his kid who's looking at him scared, Dad, I'm afraid. And he says, son, I got you. Just go be brave. I'm watching you. I've got your back. You're going to be okay. But this is God saying, I got you. You're going to be okay. Go share the gospel, every bit of it. I'm watching you so closely, I know the number of hairs on your head. Go be brave. Go be bold. Don't let them silence you anymore. Don't be afraid to speak the name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. God is not out to get us. 
1 Peter 2, 25, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 4, 19 makes the same point that Jesus is making. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You can trust God with your soul. God is watching us also means that we're accountable. In verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. R.T. France says, what ultimately decides a person's destiny is what Jesus himself will have to say about them before his Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says, I'm watching. And what does this mean? This is not a merit-based system. We've made that clear. Jesus has made that clear very clearly. It's not, hey, if you share the gospel enough, God will accept you in heaven. That is not it. To be confident of your eternal destination is to see that your allegiances have been changed. You have a fundamental Change has taken place. You have a new foundation. This is wording from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That your house is built on a new foundation of the Spirit of God. The new heart that God gives. And that heart will show forth in being proud of your new dad. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Look at Peter. Peter. One of the originals, standing at a fireside as it's all going down with Jesus. And just a servant girl looks at him in the glow of the fire and says, Wait, weren't you, aren't you one that's been following him? He says, No, nah, I don't know. I didn't know. But what did Jesus do to him? Did he say, You're out? You denied me. No, because he was one of his, he came to him and he said, listen, I got a great work for you of proclaiming the gospel. And just moments later in his life, this man who was afraid of owning up to knowing Jesus before the servant girl at a fireside chat is standing before the Sanhedrin council who has the power to end his life and he is boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to take ordinary faith and make us extraordinary witnesses. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Jesus has sent every one of us out. 
He said, look, get ready for it. It's coming. If you're going to be bold for Christ, if you're going to orient your life around God's teaching, if you're going to identify your very essence of who you are, your purposes, your priorities, your plans with Christ and his kingdom, your life's going to be different. You're going to live a whole different reality. Everything's different in the kingdom. And if you're going to speak up for the name of Jesus, then just get ready. You're going to be persecuted. And last week we saw not only expect it, but embrace it. Because he says, I'm going to use it for great gains in the kingdom. But you got to get over your fear. How do you do that? You get in the word of God. And you read the word of God and you pray the spirit of God fans the flames of faith that emboldens you, that encourages you, that gives you an eternal perspective, that gives you divine mindset, that gives you his eyes to see his compassion for the lost, his heart, his courage, his faith. And as we gather together in community groups and we study the word of God, we take it seriously and we pray for one another throughout the week and we say, God, make them bold witnesses. God, take this little church that is of nothing, a bunch of nobodies, and do a great work for yourself. God, do this for your name's sake. This community needs the gospel. This community needs your grace. This community needs your love. These marriages need healing. These families need reconciliation. These communities need justice. And it only comes from Jesus. Make us your bold, courageous, loving witnesses, Lord. Will you join me in that? Father God, make us this kind of church. Make us a people, loving, gracious, compassionate, but committed to your glory. If you've saved us, then you have sent us, and may we be faithful to go and to proclaim the gospel. May we not fear men, but to boldly proclaim the gospel. May we not fear men, for they are not our God, you are. May we not fear men. Give us courage, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.